Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. This is number two in our series with our friends at REPL and today we'll be covering budgeting and forecasting. Delighted to be joined by Hussein from the UK, Zach from the USA and Dana from South Africa. Hi everyone, how are you doing? Morning Simon. We'll just get to know a bit about the three of you before we start. So if we start with you Hussein first, you're based in the UK. Just tell us a bit about what you do for REPL. Uh, Hi. Um, Yeah, so I joined REPL uh, February this year. Um, So my role in REPL is a workforce transformation consultant. Primarily what I do is I support the build configuration, testing and implementation of workforce management solutions to uh, clients. Brilliant. And Zach, over to you in America. Hi. Uh, my role with REPL, very similar to Hussein's. I'm on our workforce transformation team uh, here in the US. I've been with REPL for, it'll be four years in February. And then right now, I'm a solutions architect on one of our uh, projects over here. But yeah, very similar role to Hussein. Last but not least, to South Africa, Dana. Hi, I'm Donna Altavilla. I'm from South Africa and I joined REPL a year ago in November. Um, I'm also in the workforce transformation team and I am a principal and a solution architect and I specialize in a lot of retail solution architecture and scheduling. Lots of good experience on the call, which is great. So today we're talking about budgeting and forecasting. So let me try and simply frame it. So budgeting leads on from the kind of labor standards podcast we did. So that's where we will use all the business data. So how long it takes to do all the various business activities, all the business minimum manning and requirement rules and run that through to create a a budget. So how many hours and inevitably cost, much cost do we need to run the budget budget for that period? And that period's typically 12 months. So budget, I suppose you could call it a long range forecast if we want to keep the, the terminology the same. And then forecasting is the bit where the workforce management solutions use all their fancy algorithms behind the scenes and all the the years of clever people um, working out how all these things come together to start to predict based on historic trends of rolling number of previous weeks or last year and all the data that's going in from EPOS, for example, sales till transactions to predict potentially how many delivered items we're going to have, how many transactions we're going to have for future weeks and therefore apply that same logic of for this many transactions, we know how long it takes. Therefore, this is the amount of labour you'll need. So it isn't necessarily linked to the the budget because the budget is more of a longer term forecast. It's more of a, a shorter term view based on more accurate data. If we start with you, Zach, is that a fair summary in, in really, really simple terms of what those two things are? Have you got anything else to add? No, I, I think those that's a that's a fair summary. I think, yeah, the two are two separate things, but then at the same time, they also can be used to like work together, like forecast. You know, you're probably going to look at your forecast to help come up with that budget um, in itself, whatever whatever area of a, of a store or whatever the case is. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a, a 
fair fair explanation of the two. Good, I got something right then. So, who, who's saying? In your experience, have you worked with people that do what we'd call top-down budgeting or, or bottom-up? Typically, what businesses want to do is obviously they want to find a balance, essentially. So, they want to use essentially the they want to optimize the best possible service, I guess, they can give against a, a business model budget, essentially. So, so when we're talking about a top-down. The top-down approach is essentially your people in your finance determine and say, I don't know, we've got an X amount of dollars or pounds to to, to run our labour budget for the year for the business. And then equally, a bottom-up approach is essentially using the data and the science that the forecasting has produced within WFM to help produce that budget. So the downward, the top-down, as you described it, is... How do I get my fair share of the money? Because somebody else is creating the pot and the the bottom up is all the the data, which in itself creates the pot. So you you kind of get an answer, but coming at it from very different ways. Dana, does that ring true in South Africa? Do you see both of those approaches or is there something different that happens there? Yeah, we do see it. I think it sometimes depends on what application you're using, but um, the top down generally is your budget. And when you refer to a budget in a way, for me, it's kind of like a sales goal. It is your goal of what you would like to achieve, your top down budget. Generally, your forecasting is from the bottom up because that's where you get your most granularity. You're able to see things from the bottom up, from the layers in your store. So depending on your store, you might have tools and those areas, that's bottom up and you need people in areas for forecasting. Our budget is our long range view and that could be, as I said before, a pounds or an hours number. But you may also have that metric of forecast, which is is shorter term. So as a business, I I might not hit my budget, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. in hours or pounds, but because the forecast has taken over in, I suppose, inverted commas, that means that that's more accurate to how my business performance is. Because if my forecast higher, assume I'm assuming I'm taking more money than I budgeted for. If my forecast is lower, I'm assuming I took less money, and both of those have a direct impact on number of transactions. Stock is that is that fair, um, Dana? Yeah, and um, so what I'm what I'm saying when you forecast and you're forecasting, it's generally trying to tell you how many people you're going to need in your store. So it's it should be more accurate as time moves on. So the more you move, you should be like scheduling according to your forecast because it's telling you how many people you're going to need in the store. You shouldn't be capping it on a budget because your budget is a goal and. You know, quite often your budget is higher than actually what you might need. So based on your forecast, your forecast says you only need five people in an area. You may, may have budgeted for 10, but do you need them? Or you may have budgeted for five, but your forecast is telling you you need 10. So when you're forecasting, it's really to ensure that the customer has the best experience. So when he walks in the store, he knows his tools are going to be open. There's not going to be queues because you've got the right amount of people on the floor. Based on up-to-date information in terms of your forecast variables. Correct, because your forecast knows what's been happening in your store recently and it also looks back perhaps at the same trend that was happening last year. 
So when you look at your forecast, it tells you this is what you can expect to happen based on what happened last year or what's been happening in the past couple of weeks. So for customer satisfaction, you find if you're using your forecast, you're actually getting a better overview of what you, the, the staff that you need. Cool. Right. Got it. So, Zach, with, with that in mind, then, what things do people typically forecast? Donna's talked about sales to people forecast other things as well within that to drive that shorter term view of labor requirement yeah so i know from mine um obviously dependent on on the business but things like footfall transactions typically you know when you talk of workforce management the the metrics that are going to drive drive labor or or drive sales i think to to dana's point it's about making sure you have the right people in the right place at the right time. Um, and so, you know, common ones that I've seen, it's, it's things like items, transactions, footfall, because that's going to determine the amount of work then that's going to need to be done, right? Like if we have more people come into our store, you know, if we have more transactions, I'm going to need more cashiers. Um, more people come into my store, I could need more cleaning, uh, whatever the case may be. And then from there, you know, that could be even a step down in granularity to departments within a store, an electronics department, a clothing or, or different, you know, different frozen food, produce, whatever, whatever your store is, you can take it even down to that level. But ultimately it's, it's what metrics or what KPIs are driving your labor. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's interesting. And we'll come to you on, you on this one, who's saying lots of people who, get into workforce management or at an early stage are always quite surprised when you say, actually, just because I forecast sales, that doesn't necessarily mean I need more labor. And back to Zach's point, because sales is almost the output from all the, the work. So transactions go goes up, which drives till work, which hopefully means more sales. Actually, even if sales, sales stay the same, if you're pumping in lots of stock to those stores and delivered items go up, you therefore need more labour. So do you see that when people are in the early stages, they're trying to connect the dots and they think that more sales means more hours, but actually sometimes it doesn't? Yeah, yeah, it's a common misconception, actually. I think the best way to look at it, and this is how I often relay it back to um, clients who aren't quite sure as to the difference between, let's say, um, items or transactions as opposed to sales is if we think about an example of a television, for instance, a TV costs, let's say, $200 or pounds, but it's one item. So just because you're selling through more, it doesn't necessarily mean it takes more labor to do. Whereas if you're selling, I don't know, 10 bags of carrots, actually replenishing that takes longer. Transactioning it through the till takes longer. So actually you require more labor to put out the the carrots, the 10 bags of carrots, as opposed to the one TV, because it's just one big box, it goes on the shelf, and then it's one big box that goes through the the, 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 the till. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's kind of, I use a, a similar analogy, which is if your sales are a million pounds, would you expect the same workload to sell one thing for a million pounds or a million things for one pound? You get two very different answers, don't you, depending on which way you do it, but you've still had a million pounds worth of sales. That's all good and well, and we know now we've got a budget and we know what the forecast does. So how accurate are these labour forecasts? So 
Dana, we'll come to you because you talked about kind of it uses maybe some of last year's data and we'll we'll touch on that in a second. But generally, in a, a world that's normal, so let's take 2020 out of the equation, how accurate are, the, are these forecasts? Are, are people, are their sister solutions getting quite close or is there a big gap? Are there factors which impact it? I, I'm finding because systems today can take us a lot more information and you've got a lot more accurate point-of-sale information, POS information inputting. In my experience, I've seen actually very high um, forecasts um, accuracy. In the 80s and 90s, I've actually seen a couple of stores that have actually got to 80 or 90% accuracy. So what you forecasted, what the system forecasted, and what you actually brought in, which comes through your POS data, when you actually have a look at it, you see that the percentages are almost spot on. It's quite amazing to see. And how is the world going to, you know, 2020 has been an anomaly, hopefully, of a year. Mm. How are people going to think about forecasting when they're in 2021, assuming that 2020 data is probably not that robust to use? So in my experience, I think they're, they're going to, look, they do have previous history to go on. So this year, I'm not too sure how they're going to deal with that. What we have found is that we try to sort of look at more recent history and try to forecast from that. So if I come back to what you're saying, this year in 2020, your forecasting may not have been as accurate, but we have found workarounds to try and help you get to a better forecast based on your more recent history. Um, so 2021, what I think it's going to look like, well, we've at least been through 2020 where we've learned how to manage the current situation. So hopefully 2021, it's going to be a lot easier because we know how to deal with strange situations. But I would probably think we're going to, if we go back to normal, we're going to go back to looking at history from um, 2019 and not 2020. It might be a year that we just ignore yeah i think a lot of people would like to erase this year probably hussein do you think the same from a uk point of view clearly there's been going to be for some uh, certainly fashion hospitality some yeah months and months when there'll be no data because they were closed yeah yeah exactly to touch on uh, dana's point i mean the reality is covid was unknown territory for a lot of you know wfm systems so, so it's about the different approaches that they would like to take because you might find that some businesses might actually say, you know, the data that's come out as a result of uh, COVID has actually shown us that we can maybe operate in a different way um, and we can take a different approach. So they might, you know, adjust their operating models based on what they've seen. But, yeah, I think it will just be a case of maybe a lot of short-term forecasting or, as um, Dana said, you know, referencing back to the previous years and, and ignoring 2020 altogether as an anomaly. Yeah, and the, the same kind of view in uh, America, Zach? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think Hussein makes a good point about businesses, like their operations changing. Uh, I'm assuming it's pretty consistent across the globe, but I think businesses have had to act quickly and change change the way that they that they operate you know with like online deliveries curbside pickup like those those types of changes i know trying to predict that and and whether or not that kind of sticks around is is a challenge 
you know, how much our consumer habits are actually going to change, you know, into normal. But I think overall, like not look, 2020 is not something you can take into consideration if you're looking at a year that's more BAU. I do think it's something that businesses will like keep in the back of their head as a reference point. If, you know, God forbid we get into another or a similar situation, you know, I think that you're going to find that they'll then look at that as their reference point of how do we respond or trying to predict what will happen in a time of uncertainty if that happens again. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting. And as you say, there's the added complication that the business model you had pre-COVID probably for 90% plus of certainly retailers isn't going to be the business model you operate, whether that be the the switch to more uh, online or digital channels, or you have greeters in stores, or there's more cleaning activity or process that you stopped in COVID, you decide not to carry on, will will really bear out in 2021, I assume. So with that in mind then, does that mean that forecasting is becoming a more important module of workforce management than ever or actually it sits relatively equal with the others, Zach? I I think it's becoming more and more important. I think with some of the tools that are out there and the ability to get more accurate forecasting. I think I've seen and heard of similar things to what Dana had said about getting to, you know, 80, 90% accuracy when things are somewhat consistent, you know, with machine learning and, and AI. I think it's the ability to more accurate accurately predict what your business is gonna do and then more accurately predict your needs is becoming more and more imperative. And so I think you're starting to see more uh, a bigger emphasis into getting accurate forecasting versus the model of, you know, last year plus 10% or last year plus 5% or whatever whatever the cases were. I think you you're just seeing a lot a lot more uh, investment into actually predicting what's going to happen, which is then leads to, you know, more accurate budgets, more accurate labor costs, like you're you're just able to predict your overall business better. And with certainly in the the UK, who's saying there's kind of a, a predicted unfortunate consequence of COVID rise significantly in in unemployment, do you think again that that will mean that forecasting for lots of organisations is on the front foot, so that they make the best use of potentially a smaller, if not more skilled workforce they'll have going forward? Using a, a workforce solution and and the um, the forecasting information and detail it provides. It helps you essentially review shift trades and shift shift patterns. So, you know, what you might see is that businesses are seeing less uh, transactions, but larger basket sizes, for instance. So it's um, and then and then, you know, less manned tills and more self-service tills. So obviously businesses will be looking to see where they can utilize those body, um, those employees elsewhere in their business. So um, I think, you know, a, a good quality forecasting system will definitely help with labour matching. And will that play out in South Africa, Dana, as well? Yes, most certainly. I think uh, what it really helps a lot of business, especially at this time, is actually being able to protect predict if you need more staff and when you're going to need more staff. Because if you start forecasting and you forecast into the future a little, you can see my business is picking up. I'm going to need more staff or it's dropping down. I'm going to have to make some other, some other arrangements. So I think 
yeah, it's very important now to allow stores and companies to be able to think for the future and not just for today. And, and again, I think it was Zach that made the point. There's a whole bunch of more intelligent technology coming through, even than the algorithms that are there today for forecasting from AI and machine learning, which I think plays back to your earlier point, Donna, around maybe looking more shorter term, but actually because the the way the forecasting thinks with better technology and the machine learning capabilities, the forward prediction actually is better with less data. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's highly possible. Machine learning is, well, in my experience with machine learning, it doesn't just limit it to your little store. It can look a little bit bigger and see what's happening in the whole area to help you out. And before we close, this is one of the conflicts I see with a lot of people in terms of budget and forecast that that then clearly goes into be scheduled with adding people. Do the costs have to always match the workload so what I mean by that is if you give me a thousand hours for this week for my store should I always have the appropriate cost to be able to staff to a thousand hours I see people in different places where cost must always match or follow the workload and others where there's almost some confusion of well you've given me a thousand hours but actually from a pound note or dollars point of view i can't afford that does that do you see that hussein with your clients there's a a clear match or mismatch even yeah i mean quite often um you see that to be the case um because obviously um you know your budget you know incorporates uh, the business model and the the finances that go into it whereas the actual workload calculations are telling you that you need something else you know, I don't think that cost should always match your workload, um, but it's, it's it's an open and healthy debate. And how do people square that off? So, what? How do they educate uh, people that these two might not always be in sync? So, in my experience, what I have found is that um, you should you shouldn't be limiting your budget because your your forecast is telling you that you actually need more people and if you don't you're going to actually your 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 store is going to suffer because you don't have any tillers on the floor so i think when they learn to trust the system and they learn that the reason why it's asking them to adjust their budget is because there is genuinely a need for the extra labor and therefore the labor should be more important if you if your company wants to make sure that the customer experience is priority so if you if you trust the forecast then the money should always match i think is what you're saying because there's a clear reason why you need to spend more money because you need more people to fulfill the workload. Is that fair? In my experience, yes, it's fair to say that. And and your your budget of your wage budget should come out of your when you're scheduling, your scheduling should tell you you over or under or when you're scheduling it should try and keep it within your budget, your wage budget. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and Zach, does that resonate with you? Yeah, definitely. Um I think in a in a ideal world your you know that your forecast would be driving all of those decisions so to your point about you know your budget so like the amount of hours that we're going to give stores money to spend and then the amount of hours that they actually need 
if you're you're using the same data, if you're, you're using the same forecast to drive things, um, they should match. However, I've I've found in my experience that that's not always the case. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's whether it's using different ways of coming up with those numbers. So I've seen clients where their hours and their labor and what they say they need is from an operations perspective has been built bottom up, but then budget, you know, finance comes to them with a budget that's been built top down. And so it doesn't align, learn to call like running hot or burn. Um, and just that difference between, you know, the hours that we need versus what we're going to be given. Um, but I think with forecasting, and, you know, the things that we've talked about as that improves and there continues to be an emphasis on accurate forecasting, I think organizations are going to start to see that if we're using the same forecast to drive everything and make decisions on, then our decisions are going to be more in line because we're, we're coming from the same spot originally. We're not, you know, two different processes using two different ways to come to ultimately what should be the same number. Absolutely. That's good. Well, I think that, that's a great point to finish on. I think hopefully we've helped people understand the, I suppose, the greyness of budgeting and forecasting because back to the start, although they're two uh, distinct processes, there's a, a real overlap in the middle and people have different views on which should be the the master of that data and which should be the, the kind of overriding hours and cost numbers, but an interesting debate. And I think one of the clear things is this is becoming a, a much more important part of the workforce management solutions that are out there, as well as the, I suppose, the excitement of all the AI and machine learning stuff that's just going to fine tune it and make it even more accurate for organisations moving forward. On that point, just leaves me to thank you, Hussein, Zach and Dana for coming on the podcast. Look after yourselves and we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Yeah, thank you.